let's turn together to the book of James tonight. We're starting in the book of James. We are continuing now into our second um, study of uh, taming the tongue, we're calling it, and going through a series of our communication with, uh, um, with others, our relationships with others. How, uh, how do we, can we as believers use our mouths, use our tongues, uh, use our words to bring glory to God? And uh, we've, we uh, looked at some of this last week, but we're reviewing here together. And let me just say to you, I know we've got a few who are visiting here with us. We're glad to have you. Some of you have been visiting last few weeks. I, I, I believe God has a purposeful reason for why you are here. And uh, that does not necessarily mean as a result of the message, but I do believe God has brought you here. And, you know, more importantly than you being a part of our service and just simply attending our service, my desire is that you would come to know Christ as your Savior, that you know Him in your own personal heart, and that's been a settled knowledge that you've made in your own heart. And if it's not, let me tell you, uh, that's, that's, there's no greater decision you could ever make uh, than putting your faith and trust in the Lord. And uh, so uh, please talk, come talk with me if there's any way I can help you in that way. And I don't do the saving, saving God does. But uh, I can take you to some scripture and try to help to show you what the Word of God says uh, concerning our salvation. James chapter 3, we know James 3, if you know anything about scripture, is a chapter pretty much entirely designated to and on the tongue. If you have uh, um, studied or attended church, studied your Bible to any capacity, you have undoubtedly heard maybe multiple messages concerning the tongue. Our emphasis and goal has not been simply to examine uh, just this uh, passage for the subject of the tongue, but getting specific. What are the areas concerning the tongue that uh, mankind can use or do that is either honorable or dishonorable to God? James chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 tells us the power concerning the tongue. Of course, the previous verses uh, compare them to that of uh, though a small helm or though a little member or though like a bridle to that of a horse, yet they control and they bring and can bring great power. But James 3, verse 7, the Word of God says, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of of deadly poison. And we looked at last week how that uh, God gave mankind dominion over all the earth. And as a result of that understanding, God was created in his image. Uh, there was distinction that was made between animal kind and mankind. And that dominion was to say that I am giving you now uh, authority. I am now giving you uh, that which no other and nothing else of creation has. Okay? So as a result, Mankind, and even today, is able to tame the wild beasts, okay? Um, you know, in, in the Garden of Eden, of course, animals were uh, different than they are today, uh, but they, did not, they do not and did not, even in the Garden of Eden, process or have a mind like that of mankind. Uh, but what has man been able to do? Well, we can train dogs, we can train birds, we can train uh, whales and dolphins and pretty significant animals and beasts that uh, you would say, man, you know, uh, how in the world does someone even do that? Well, mankind does, and part of that's because of the way that God has created man with that dominion, significant and with a uh, clear distinction compared to all that of, uh, of the rest of creation. We could talk much more on that, but understanding this, the Bible tells us that above all the things that man can tame, we can even uh, control that of plant life, the direction which it, uh, a plant would grow, or we can transplant a plant and replant it somewhere else, and all of life can be tamed, can be 
be controlled. Man has dominion over. But the one thing that no man can tame, the Bible tells us, is the tongue. No man can tame it. In fact, it is so dangerous that when not under the control of the Holy Spirit, when not directed properly through the power of God, the Bible tells us it says deadly poison. In fact, if you study those words in the Greek, you would find it speaks of that of venomous poison, comparative to that of a of a, a snake, a serpent's poison, poisonous uh, uh, poison that would be injected into an individual, and uh, a poison that uh, it just within a matter of minutes, uh, hours maybe, but in a short amount of time, uh, it will lead to destruction and or death. Uh, if, if the tongue is not properly tamed through the power of the Holy Spirit, it can destroy relationships, it can destroy uh, more specifically marriages, friendships, uh, it can tear apart churches. Uh, it, it, the, the, the tongue can no man tame. The Christians should never come to the point and place in their life where they believe that they have control over their tongue because truth of the matter is, it's by that point that they probably developed pride in their own heart and their mind to believe that they have tamed it. You can't. In your own power, you cannot. We need the Holy Spirit's power uh, and help to be able to do so. The Bible says in James chapter 1, just another page over from where you're at there in James, verse 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, that is, that doesn't give control to his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, so as a result of not controlling your tongue, you're deceiving your own heart, this man's religion is what? Vain. It's empty. It's pointless. It's serving no value. God's not going to honor any gifts that you bring to him, any sacrifice that you bring to him, any commitments that you bring to him are really just empty because uh, instead uh, you're, 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 you're not letting yourself be, con be controlled by Christ. We, like we talked about this morning, when mankind is left on his own, something will grow. It can either be good or bad, but without the, the word of God and Christ's uh, word being cultivated into our lives, uh, something will grow. In some cases, it's not a good thing that will grow. Uh, and so the Bible tells us, as we read elsewhere in Scripture, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The deception of the heart is that we have so deceived our own heart, uh, but all the while we're, we're speak, what we are speaking is evidence of the condition of our heart. So as Christians, we must be careful with that which we say. This is the context of James chapter 3. Not the entirety. We're not speaking this broad tonight. I want to talk to you about the subject tonight. And uh, this is not to say that I have uh, overcome this in my own life, that I have perfected it, that I am better than thou in any way. That is not the intent here. We're trying to understand what does Scripture can say concerning matters of the tongue. I want to talk to you about the subject of complaining. Complaining. And, uh, you know, that's the part where we all look down and we say, oh, man, why, why are you doing this to me, Pastor? Okay, we, we, all need to, we all need these things at a certain point in our life. I wish I could say that I was an individual who never complains. But if you want to ask, if you want to find out where my complaints lie, you can ask my wife. And I'm sure she can tell you many, many things. Uh, and, uh, uh, but what is complaining? Uh, you, you look it up on Google, the first definition you find is it's an expression of dissatisfaction or annoyance about something. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines it uh, as two different ways, to express grief, pain, or dis discontentment, and or to make a formal accusation or charge. Complaining. Uh, there is nowhere in Scripture that we find that complaining uh, from that of our tongue is anything but ungodly, anything but sin. 
God cannot honor, God cannot bless, God cannot use the believer, the Christian, that allows himself to have an uncontrolled tongue in the matter of complaining. You say, well, what in the world would I be complaining about? Sometimes it's about the boss at work. Sometimes it's about work in general. Uh, sometimes it's about the neighbor and their trash or their yard or the, the property line that never gets trimmed, okay? Uh, or uh, sometimes it's about the, the neighbor's dog, okay? Sometimes it's about our own dog. Our poor dog sometimes, they get pretty hard lectures. You know, we get upset, we kick the dog, and we can't kick anything else, so we kick the dog instead, you know? But, uh, uh, but our complaints can be about, truthfully, anything that we're discomforted about. So the first question we must ask is, where is our discomfort and what is causing that discomfort? But secondly, where, in what the Bible says, where our complaint truly is directed. In Psalm 142, we find a passage of scripture uh, that David writes concerning his complaint. Can, can you believe that? The psalmist himself writes about his own complaints. Uh, this is, uh, but rather, a, a, um, a clarification to us to understand that his complaint <laughs> Is he's showing how he directs it, how he is how he is letting it be used. Psalm 142. We're going to read through this psalm here together. In verse one, the word of God says, "I cried unto the Lord with my voice." Okay, there's the words. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. There's the asking. I poured out my complaint before Him. Mark that in your Bible if you mark your Bible. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked in my right hand and beheld, and there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. There are times when we read about David's writings in the Psalms, and we don't maybe know exactly the time in which. We might have some idea, but we don't know exactly the time. But in this particular psalm, if you notice the title, just under Psalm 142, the Bible tells us that this is a prayer when David was in the cave. Now, if you know anything about the life of David, David was only in two caves, the cave of Dolom and the, and the cave of Gedi. We don't know which, maybe exact one that it is, uh, but I guess if you're in a cave, write a psalm, right? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, that's what David did. Here he's in the cave. What do we know about David? We know uh, that he was on a run for his own life. The cave of Dolom was where uh, he found those refugees, so to speak, that he eventually had an army that, uh, that was built as a result of that. And uh, uh, later on, he's hiding in the cave in Gedi. It's both of these times, what is he doing? He's running for his life from the king, from Saul. Saul, who had allowed bitterness and then pride to so develop in his own heart that now it's being uh, protruded out as anger and even worse, now he's seeking to murder David. These, this is the context of which this psalm is being written, uh, that all these things are taking place at once, and all these many things are running through David's mind, running through his head. Now keep in mind, um, David is not a perfect man, uh, but he's not yet been, 
he's not yet in the place as king. The mistakes that we often point the, the finger at David and, and the correction that was given to God for concerning his sin with Bathsheba, uh, none of this has happened yet, okay? In fact, uh, it's, it's probably fair to say that David's heart was even closer-knit with the Lord the, the younger he was because he hadn't allowed himself uh, to be given to the concubines and multiple wives and all these other areas of, uh, of sinful living uh, that can come as a result of that higher position which he eventually had. But here he writes these things, and what does he say in the beginning? He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's a good way to start anything when, uh, when it's a complaint or a concern of our heart that we would direct it to God first. Amen? That it would begin with God. You know, there's more than one way to cry unto the Lord. <laughs> Sometimes you can cry unto the Lord with a plea, God help me! Other times you can cry unto the Lord and say, God, why? Right? Two different ways. Uh, the, the, but understand this, that David, as he writes, I cried to the Lord with my voice. So what is this? This is the, the desires. These are the thoughts of his mind. These are the, the things going on within his heart that he is now producing into physical, literal words. He's not letting them swell. He's not just meditating on them. And by the way, that's one of the worst things that can happen uh, when you do have a complaint is to just sit and just think on them and just let them swell. It's like, uh, uh, you know, just trying to put a cap or, or, or a cork on a bottle and just keeping something sealed and never opening it up. Uh, eventually, it's just going to rot and it's not going to amount to any uh, um, uh, useful purpose. And there's nothing that tasteful, nothing tasteful that will come as a result of it. Um, and so, what does David say? He says, I cried to the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord, that I make my supplication. He's putting his concerns into words. This is a spoken prayer. You know, there is something to be said about a spoken prayer. That when you speak to the Lord and there's a concern on your heart, there's a complaint on your mind, that you are putting it into words. Because you know, if you can first begin by putting into words your complaint to God, oh, it's going to make it so much better than trying to first put them into words to somebody else. Because the temptation of mankind in our sin nature is, I'm not going to bring my complaint to God first. I'm going to tell a hundred other people first. And then when I've kind of gotten it off my chest a little bit, then I'll bring it to God. But David says, no, I'm running for my life. <laughs> God, I'm bringing my concern, my complaint to you. David had a lot to complain about. Okay, He truly did. In, in fleshly thinking, in the world's thinking, he had every reason to complain. Uh, if, uh, one might even say, well, uh, this is a legitimate complaint, Pastor. He should be able to complain because someone's trying to murder him. He should have every reason to complain. But so the Bible tells us, here he puts into words and a cry into the Lord and a prayer, a supplication, a, that is a faith believing that God will hear and answer his prayer according to his time. John Phillips is a commentator. He put it this way concerning spoken words. He says, when something is actually spoken, it articulates a thought and converts it from a vague longing into something concrete. So when a concern, when a frustration, when a complaint is on our heart and our mind, where should we begin by taking it to? We take it to directly to God. Now understand this, every complaint, whether directly given to God, or said in the presence of God, because God is in all places, it's still heard by God. And it's still connected to God. 
Let's keep our finger in Psalms. We're familiar with Exodus 14, but let's turn there. Exodus 14, uh, one of the, uh, the greatest illustrations, uh, unfortunately, but truthfully, uh, in the matter of complaining is found in the children of Israel. Here the children of Israel on just the opposite. They had every reason not to complain. Okay, God has delivered them from years of slavery. Uh, yet, all the meanwhile, before the slavery had even taken place, Egypt had become a, very, a great place of blessing to them. And had, for their forefathers, had been a great place of, uh, of growth and uh, 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 blessing to them at this time in their life. But Exodus 14, at this point in time, they have now uh, been led by Moses out of Egypt. Exodus 14, verse 11, the Word of God says, uh, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Here they're complaining about the wilderness, but uh, we, I wish we could say that they lived and learned and there wasn't a further complaint. But you take a page over Exodus 16, and as you would read in Exodus 16, we're not going to look in great detail tonight, but there was a murmuring. <laughs> the Israelites, the Bible tells us in Exodus 16, in uh, verse number 2, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died in the hand, to the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat to the full. For ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, and I, and that, that I may provide them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, That even then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning then ye shall see the glory of the Lord. As we would read on, verse 8, the Bible says, And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to full. For, the Lord, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings. Take note of that. The Lord heareth your murmurings. He says it again in verse 9 at the end of the verse, for he hath heard your murmurings. Um, in um, uh, verse number 12, the Bible says, actually verse 11 also, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them. Uh, he continues on as we would read all through the passage, God hears the murmurings, God hears the murmurings, but what does the Bible tell us? And Look at verse number 8. And Moses said, this shall be uh, when the Lord shall give you, uh, this isn't the verse, um, uh, Exodus 16, um, oh, it is the verse. When the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to eat full, for the, that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Notice, your murmurings are not against us, but against who? The Lord. We're familiar again with this passage, but it'd be worthy of marking in your Bible if you've not already marked it. Where is our complaint directed towards, even though in this case it was directed towards the leadership, it was directed towards Moses and Aaron, yet the complaint ultimately was heard by God and it was against God. It was a complaint against that which God had given to the children of Israel. Remember, everything that we have to complain about is that which we have. And everything we have is that which God has given to us. So the Bible tells us 
there is a result of our complaint. And the result of our complaint is that it is heard by God. It, back in the psalm, the Bible tells us in, in verse 1 that David poured out his complaint. That gives us the idea that he was full of it. <laughs> that it was overflowing. That he was so frustrated, likely angry, and upset that he just couldn't keep it in. But where did he direct it? To God. I poured out my complaint before him, David says. In Exodus chapter 17, the Bible tells us yet again a time of which the children of Israel had murmured before the Lord. The Bible says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandments of the Lord, and pitched and Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? Our complaint is really a testing of God. It gives God every reason uh, to uh, give us everything other than his blessing in our life. You know, um, when you consider the children of Israel, uh, who are they? Yes, they're God's chosen people, but they're no different than anyone on the earth today. Their complaints in the context of what we're talking about are very similar to that of our everyday life instances, circumstances that we face. That if our flesh takes first preeminence over the Holy Spirit's filling in our life and the fruits of the Spirit are not being uh, exerted and put into use in our life, the complaint comes. The murmuring comes. And as we've already read, it's heard by God. And it tempts God. And it's against God. It's not honorable to God. So the result of your complaint is that uh, you, you, in the end, you're hurting and harming your own relationship with God. The person you'll be held accountable before God, the thing you'll be held accountable before God, has not to do with anyone else or any other thing. It has to do with you. <laughs> so keep in mind... Believer, myself, you, may we all keep in mind that our complaints are what we will give accountable, accountability before God about. No matter what the complaint may legitimately or illegitimately be about. It's against God. Notice with me, secondly, the direction of your complaint. The direction of your complaint. We sing the song, I must tell Jesus all of my troubles, I cannot bear these burdens alone. So that should be the attitude of our own heart. But David kind of lays some things out here. In fact, I've categorized them as four different things that he says uh, within this psalm concerning the direction of his complaint. He begins in verse 3 by saying, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. And the way therein I walked, uh, uh, I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. He says in verse 3, My spirit was overwhelmed. But notice he continues, Thou knowest my path. Thou knowest my path. His complaint was so heavy, it overwhelmed him. But what was his conclusion? That he needed God's help. Number one, you can't do it on your own. Whatever you're complaining about, just remember, first of all, whatever the circumstance may be, don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to do it on your own power. Remember that God is all-powerful. Amen? Amen? Bring it to God. Take it to God. Number two, no one else can help you. 
He says in verse 4, I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. You know, the unfortunate thing is, is that sometimes uh, in our complaints, we, we say that. Does no one care? Is no one here? Does no one else notice what I'm noticing? You, 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 you understand what we're talking about here in our complaints. This is often what we say. This is exactly what David's saying. Remember, David's no better of a person than we are. David's a sinner saved by grace, same as we are as believers. And so the Bible tells us, I looked at my right hand and behold, there was no man. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. No man or woman can help you like God can help you. Amen? Amen. You know, I believe there is, in the right context, there might be a need for somebody to have a counselor or something uh, that, you know, to help with maybe something mentally or even physically or in a relationship-wise, counseling would be needed. But in this case, we're talking about our own spiritual relationship with God. The answer is not to bring the complaint elsewhere. The answer is to bring the complaint directly to God, believing that he'll take care of it, believing that he is in control of it, and that only he can solve it. You say, well, you just don't understand. Look, I, I don't understand. There are things that I don't understand in my own life that my complaints I have to examine and say, why in the world is this happening? But what I have to be able to do, as we all do, is to be able to say, I must tell Jesus all of my troubles. I cannot bear these burdens alone. Is it a burden? Absolutely. Is it a trouble? Most definitely. Is it discouraging and frustrating? Does it make you angry? I'm sure it does. But the complaint should be kept between you and God. Amen? It's biblical. It's a biblical thing. Number three, the Bible tells us the enemy is stronger than we are. The enemy is stronger than we are in verse six. We'll come back to verse five. In verse six, the Bible says, attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. The enemy's stronger than we are. And kind of like we talked about this morning in our own field, our own vineyard, when you let that wall down, when you let the wall of protection that should be around your life, yes, God's protection is not there, but in the same way, Satan's given full access. And the moment your complaint goes elsewhere than directly to God, you give Satan access to your own heart and your mind. You let him have his way. And when Satan has his way, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows exactly what more thoughts to insert in your mind. In fact, what the, the most deceitful thing about Satan is he can use our, the bestest and the closest of our friends to assert further thoughts into our mind and our heart to make our frustration even worse, to make our complaint even greater. The Bible tells us the enemy is stronger than we are. Don't um, take for granted the power of Satan. He cannot make you do anything. But boy, he can assert the thoughts. He can lure the temptation. He can assert the frustration. Uh, he, he can't make you do it. But when you give in to the temptation, that's when we come at fault. The temptation in our sinful flesh, when there's a frustration and complaint, uh, is just that, to complain. That's the temptation. But the giving in to that temptation is sin. The Bible tells us the enemy is stronger than we are. No one else can help you. You can't do it on your own. Notice verse 5. The Bible tells us God is more than enough. 
Verse 5, I cried unto the Lord, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion and the land of the living. All I need is God. That's the conclusion he's saying. If God is all that I have, the only one I need to bring it to, that's enough. God will take care of the rest. For whatever reason that this is happening in my life, I don't know, but God knows. And only God can help. And only God can take care of it. And only God should hear it. That's the conclusion that we should have, as David had, as, as he writes in this psalm. Notice as he continues, and we come to our last point, we looked at the result of your complaint, it's against God. The direction of your complaint, uh, it's to be to God, and uh, with a belief that he will take care of it. But notice with me thirdly, the deliverance of your complaint. In verse 7, bring my soul out of prison. It's interesting, this is now the second time that he speaks concerning his soul. He's talking about that which is inside, okay? That inward part of him. It's not anything else that anybody can take care of than an inward decision, an inward thought of my mind and my heart that's here, okay? Bring my soul out of prison. This is something I've concluded that only you can take care of. It has so conflicted me, frustrated me, angered me, uh, that, that my soul, my whole inward part, <laughs> is imprisoned by it. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may notice, praise thy name. The righteous shall come past me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. This is the opposite of complaint. <laughs> praise. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'm going to choose to look at the positive things. The worst thing about our flesh is uh, we can dwell upon the negative. And, and when our sinful nature takes hold, we can examine and pick out all of the negative things about people, leadership, you fill in the blank. And two thoughts I would have in that. The first is don't let it be in your life. But the secondly, don't allow it. Don't allow yourself to be a part of it. Don't be a listening ear to it. It wasn't too long ago that I was um, just doing a hospital visit to visit a family, and um, we were talking back and forth. You never really know what you're going to talk about, if it's the need of that individual in the hospital bed uh, or if it's just whatever else is going on at that time. Uh, but somehow we got into the subject of talking about the mayor here in town. And uh, about as soon as the mayor's name was mentioned or the subject of it was mentioned, um, it was just within a matter of moments that there were about three or four things that were kind of thrown out within the conversation of the family that, as we were there concerning the leadership of our mayor. So this I don't like and this I don't like and this I don't like and this I don't like. And you know, I'm not here to talk to you about the mayor of Norfolk, okay? Your opinions about them is, is between you and God and I'm not here to judge that, okay? But what I found in my own life is it was not a healthy thing for me to even engage in the conversation but maybe rather even to try to talk about something different <laughs> let's change the subject a little bit or if the situation allows remove yourself altogether because one of the greatest ways to end or start anything is always a good is always with prayer <laughs> if you're trying to get yourself away from a situation say hey you know uh can we pray i gotta get going but can we pray together <laughs> sometimes context doesn't allow in that situation but hey don't become a listening ear to it it's not healthy it's not healthy uh, you, you, uh, you, you may not be the complainer, but if you are listening to the complainee, uh, you're, you're going to allow thoughts into your own heart and mind about something or someone that is going to have the same result as to what we're talking about. 
that it will begin with a frustration, and maybe that's actually true. Now you're not trusting. Now you're uh, turning or tilting your head at, at the decisions that are making, and as a result, as a result, uh, it becomes a complaint. And then it becomes a complaint that we're carrying of somebody else's complaint. Well, so-and-so told me. And it leads to our subject from last week. It then becomes gossip, both of which are sin before God. The Bible tells us the deliverance of your complaint, the opposite, that is to say, the opposite of a complaint is to praise. The opposite of a complaint is to praise. Uh, we, know, we know that God answers prayer. And so this is what uh, David is saying Bring my soul out of prison. God, you can answer my prayer. You, you, uh, th though the physical, and understand this, the physical circumstances of David's life were still happening. But David knows this. What can God take care of? Me. The inside. David's complaint, David's request to God was not, will you just kill Saul already? Clearly, he's not in obedience to God. We just remove him from my life. Can you not see clearly that he is not honoring you? He's blasphemed your name. He's disobeyed you. And he's trying to kill me, which aren't I your anointed? I mean, come on. Now, David didn't say any of that, although he sure could have. And truthfully, he may have thought it in his own heart and mind. But that's why he says, God, bring my soul out. The physical circumstances are all up to you. You're in control of this. You have a reason for it. Well, that's, that, I can say this much. It's hard. It is very, very hard in the circumstances, in the battle of these things, to be able to just conclude and say, oh, God, you have a reason for this. Our flesh says everything else. But here we find the psalmist says, God, bring my soul. This is where the problem is. Help me not to develop bitterness, frustration, anger. Help me not to let this be spread with, a, with a, uh, an attitude that would not be honorable to you and therefore maybe even harm a relationship with that individual, in this case Saul, and someone else. You remember David so kept his heart right in his attitude even with Saul that even when Saul was killed, David refused to kill Saul. And, and, and when Saul was killed, David took care of it himself. Now, he went and killed that guy, but he said, hey, that's God's anointed. You can't do that. God's the one who's in control. If God wanted to kill him, he'd kill him. You don't take it in your own hands. This is the same attitude David's kept all the way through. And so I say to you that which we can learn from him, it should be the same attitude that we keep. Amen? Let God take care of it. Let God, remember, God's in control of it. As we talked about this morning, let the thorns instruct you. The thorns in life don't always feel good. Sometimes they're brought by something. Sometimes they're brought by someone. But God is in control. Amen? Amen? God's never stopped working in your life. If you're living in obedience to Him, the Bible tells us, uh, even if you're not living in obedience to Him, He chastens you, He's with you, He's there. Amen? Amen? So the Bible tells us the deliverance of your complaint. God turns this complaint of His, uh, of his own fleshly response into rather a praise a praise of God's name. The complaints always have a way of coming back to an individual, maybe about something, but it usually always comes back to someone. And in most cases, I having been in that position of somebody in authority over me, usually it's always authority. How something's run, how something's done, how something was managed, 
how something took place. Uh, we didn't care for it. We didn't like it. Somebody told me something. I didn't, I didn't like that. Uh, uh, somebody said something about somebody, and I, 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 I believe them. I don't believe this guy. Who is this guy? This is, this is much of the reason where it all comes from. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to close with this passage and with a few remaining thoughts. 1 Thessalonians 5. This is what God tells us, and we're just looking at one of many passages. The opposite of complaining is praise. So we've understood the problem, okay? Yes, it's a sin. Yes, it shouldn't exist in our life. But what should we do instead? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Paul speaking to the Christians of uh, Thessalonica. And edify one another even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, that is Christians, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. In this context, he is talking about the leadership in verse 12. But I say to you, as believers in Christ, we should and ought to, and Lord willing, that's what we are doing. We're working together. We're serving the same God. We're seeking to accomplish the same goals. Amen? Amen. So God says, know them, edify them, uh, 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 comfort them, encourage them. In other words, the right words can either strengthen or encourage others. Choose the right words to say to individuals by seeking to see the positive, seeking to praise rather than complain. What does a thankful individual, somebody who chooses to give Thanks to, to somebody. Audible thanks. What does it do? Well, to an individual, uh, I would say, first of all, it, it makes others feel valued and loved. It makes others feel valued and loved. Sometimes we can, be, we can fail to say thank you enough. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we could take this in the home, in a marriage. <laughs> uh, we could take this in the church. We could take this in our workplace. Learn to say thank you sincerity of your heart. Okay, don't just simply say thank you. But learn to say thank you. Thank you for what you do. I'm not buttering you up. This is genuinely, I'm thankful for you. Unfortunately, sometimes the thank you is only a matter of buttering up. Uh, yeah, thank you for all that you do. And by the way, did you see? You know. Oh, that's, that, that's our flesh. The Bible tells us it makes others feel valued and loved. It encourages others. And sometimes, um, if it's leadership or if it's somebody else whom we're working with to some capacity, uh, maybe that's all they're hearing is the complaints. That which is going to help them to do that much better. The very thing which you might have a complaint about uh, may be bettered if instead a direction of words is geared not of a complaint, but a thank you. I would say, secondly, it inspires others to work harder and persevere. <laughs> it inspires others to work harder. Uh, somebody who is working with you or you're working with something or somebody did something, uh, you know what they're, they're going to want to do if they're your neighbor? They, they may get so frustrated enough with you, they may want to move out of their house. If they're your, if they're your co-worker, they wanna, may want to quit their job. If they're your boss, uh, they may just throw in the towel. And so that's where our flesh says, well, good, they need to be gone. <laughs> that, that's not the Christian attitude to things. Nothing about that is godly. Nothing about that is righteous. Nothing about that is honorable before Christ. As David did not wish harm to his own enemies, so we should not the same. Nobody wants to lose their job. Nobody wants to have to uproot themselves because of discomfort in a relationship to somebody that, uh, that they're near, uh, living near or working with or whatever it may be. Uh, but it happens. It happens. Uh, the Bible tells us 
uh, that uh, we are to comfort, we are to edify, that we are to, um, to know those who labor together. Uh, I, I would say thirdly, it deepens our relationship with others. We're seeking to look for the positive. You know, uh, somebody, somebody can fail miserably at something, uh, and maybe it's even in the work of God, in the church, okay? But if, if their heart is in the right place, there shouldn't be any reason to complain. Do you know what they're doing? They're doing the best that they can for the Lord's glory only. And keep in mind that it sometimes that which we complain about may be the very thing which we can help to fulfill the complaint ourselves. <laughs> Something's not happening. Well, can you help to make that happen so, so that it doesn't become a complaint? So it deepens our relationship with others. That should be the Christian attitude all the time, that we're seeking to continue to build bridges, not burn them down, <laughs> that we're seeking to speak the positive things, the good things, emphasizing the things which we are thankful for. If you want to find faults in anybody, whether uh, a pastor, a deacon, a boss, a co-worker, even a spouse, okay, oh, you'll find all kinds of dirt. Because we're sinful people. There's no perfect person out there. There's no perfect leadership. There's no uh, perfect neighbor. Uh, there's no perfect neighbor's dog, okay? <laughs> there's, no, uh, there's no perfect uh, whatever it may be. Okay, technology, your complaint might be about technology. We just got over saying, it ain't perfect, all right? It's not. The lawnmower may not start. There's no perfect technology out there. Your computer uh, may have crashed. It's not perfect. It has flaws, all right? But don't allow yourself to fall into the sin of a complaint. Because remember who gave you all those things. Remember who gave you those relationships to begin with. God had a purposeful reason in them. It was not out of accident. It was not by circumstance. It was God. Amen? God is in control of all things. And as believers, we, that should be our conclusion of it all. Uh, I've already emphasized on this a little bit, but I would say number four, it helps us to stay positive. <laughs> Some, uh, our flesh is naturally prone to negative things. It just is. But what can help us stay positive? We're looking for the positive. We're looking for the good things. And I would say number five, it creates harmony. And boy, in a church relationship, brothers and sisters in Christ, that should be what we are seeking to have as a healthy church with a harmony among God's people. Amen? What's something that's harmonious? It sounds, it sounds good. It's pleasant to listen to. It's, it's music to my ears, right? Uh, David, uh, David, um, Caleb, my son, is, uh, uh, we, we don't know that he'll become a musician, but uh, he sure loves music. And uh, he just, even since he was young, you could turn... Yeah, the sound machine has six or seven different sounds, you know, and you could turn that sound machine on multiple different sounds, and all the time, he's always just kind of, you know, and he's starting to get to where there's a little more, a pretty good rhythm, you know, now he can actually move with the music, you know, sometimes it's not always a good thing, you walk into some store and he's, you know, back and forth, they say, no, no not that one, Caleb, not that one, you know, but uh, Old MacDonald Had a Farm or something like that, he, he's all, you know, all about those, those kids' songs. Uh, it's, it's pleasant to listen to, it's joyful. It brings a smile to his face. It's something that that's, uh, he wants more of. So this is the relationship that God's people should have with one another. We're seeking to have harmony with one another. Uh, boy, uh, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, every time I see them, they encourage me. Uh, they, I, I know what they're saying is genuine out of their heart, and boy, they, they want nothing but the best for me, and that, that so helps me to keep doing what I'm doing. 
can we put this in a little more context of where we're at? Let's maybe just starting with our church. Hey, tell, tell, our, tell the, the deacons in our church thank you. Amen? Tell our secretary thank you. Tell our custodians thank you. Uh, tell our bus workers thank you. Thank you for coming out every single week, knocking on doors. Uh, tell, tell your Sunday school teacher thank you. You start practicing these things just in church, it'll carry right out of the church to your neighbors, to your co-workers, and to all the relationships that you have. Uh, I, I, again, I, I don't, the, the message tonight is not to say that I've got it figured out. I don't. But I know God does. And I know that if I seek to practice what David did in bringing my complaint to God, that as God has showed me in his word, that he will turn that complaint into praise and uh, that I can believe that God's in control so you can do the same in your own life. So we take full circle, taming the tongue. The tongue has the power, the Bible tells us, over death and life. It can destroy, it can tear apart, or it can do very much good. In this matter of complaining, what should we do? Bring the complaint to God. Because God knows, God's in control. God brought that leadership. God brought those things. God brought whatever it is into your life. God allowed it all to take place to begin with. It's not accidental. It's God behind it. Bring it to God. Believe that God's in it. Believe that God will take care of it. And he will, because he's promised us that he will. Lord, we thank you that you are a